to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. Hey, and how are you? Doing well? Amazing. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, we're coming off of a book club and we're here to do our book recommendation episode. If you've never listened to the podcast before, this is a perfect place to start and you're welcome to be here. We thank you for listening. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. We have social media feeds you can follow us and it's just at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. On Facebook and Instagram, we update our reading schedule there and give previews and it's basically just a schedule reminder of what books we're doing and when. So follow us there. Also, like and review us on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, which should be most places on the internet, AOL.com, you know, Hotmail, I don't know, <laughs> Jeeves, oh, yes. Ask Jeeves, can you dig one out of the archives, Amanda, <laughs> an old website? Uh, no, uh, MySpace, uh, what was, yeah. We're on MySpace. We can get up on MySpace. We could probably buy MySpace. <laughs> need to get some. Need to get some advertising revenue through the door first, and then we can. We'll be up on MySpace. Yeah, At any rate, yeah. we're on most of those places. So look out for us there. We appreciate that. As I mentioned, this is a book recommendation episode. Today we'll be recommending the memoir slash autobiography, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. So the book is called Born a Crime. It is by comedian and author Trevor Noah. That's what we'll be talking about today. If you've never listened to a book recommendation episode. This is an act of persuasion. We have finished the book and talked about it in depth, but you're hearing the recommendation first. We're going to try and persuade you to read it with us over the course of the next two weeks and listen to us talk about the book and do a book discussion about it. So we're, you know, here to talk to it, talk to you about it rather, not spoil it, not go into anything too in depth, just give you kind of a preview of the book, what to expect while you're reading it and sort of what to expect from us too out of it. I chose it. So, Amanda, could you set up the prompt that you gave me that led me to this book? Yeah. Um, I told you to choose something that is um, written by someone who is famous for something other than writing. Yes. And I knew Trevor Comedian. Uh, Trevor, Trevor Comedian. I knew Mr. Comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Trevor. It is 11.05 p.m. Just heads up. <laughs> um, and I and this is my second beer. Thank you very much. I'm just staying motivated and working hard. No, um, I knew go. Trevor Noah, of course, I think as most Americans would, because he took over The Daily Show when Jon Stewart left. Is that how you knew him mm-hmm. also? Yes, that is exactly how it all. I believe his stand-up was doing pretty well. He was a pretty successful stand-up before that transition, just as a you know, FYI to the listeners. I can't comment on that at all. I've never actually seen him do stand-up. I've seen him you know, on clips from The Daily Show, so where he seems like a pretty grounded, pretty amiable figure. I know he's tried to do... He's tried to seem pretty reasonable and kind of be a compassionate voice is the impression I get of him, that he's maybe a little less biting and angry than Jon Stewart's persona was and less... Mm -hmm. Jon Stewart, by the end, was kind of... He was almost perplexed by the stupidity of the world or something. He almost seemed kind of... Not that he was defeated by it or something, but that he just seemed kind of so confused that it was overwhelming him or something. I don't know. But mm-hmm. Trevor Noah seems a little more, I don't know, quiet, compassionate or something. But at any rate, I knew of him. This book is a monumental success on Goodreads, which is uh, quite honestly why I chose it. I don't often pick for popularity, but I knew him, firstly. Uh, he's a comedian, and I wanted to pick a, what I thought would be a fun, what I thought would be a funny book. And so we hadn't really picked anything for humor yet, had we, outright? 
I don't think so. No, no. And we've had laughs at a couple of the books. Even, God, the Toni Morrison book had some genuine laughs in it. What the fuck? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Like, what What a mm-hmm. miracle of writing creativity and power, like, to make a book like that funny. Do you remember that book we read, The Good Lord Bird? That book was hilarious. Yes. Yeah, that, oh, so good. Yeah, so truly hilarious work there. But any at any rate, we haven't, for this series or this version of the podcast, we really haven't picked a book for comedy. So that was my honestly my number one motivation. The fact that it was seemed extremely popular and well received, honestly, probably my secondary motivation. Just because I thought, eh, you know, sometimes we pick niche things that are we think excellent, but maybe you know they don't hit critical consensus or um, popular consensus rather. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I picked this one. Let's get into the recommendation then. Anything before we jump in? Nope, I'm ready. All right, rapid fire then. Warm up for this. We should be warm by now. Um, We're going to begin with our first segment of the rec, which is rapid fire recommendations. This is where we finish the prompt, you should read this book if, five different ways, and we respond to each other's answers. These will be quick firing. We're not going to dwell on these for too long, but this should give you a little bit of a warm up about some of the themes, ideas in the book, etc. Amanda, throw the first one my way. Yeah, uh, you should read this book if you're a fan of Trevor Noah's. Yeah, and I can't help but wonder, it's a solid one, I can't help but wonder how much of this has already been covered in his stand-up material, of which right. I know very little, but a ton of it is sort of like the awkward failings of someone growing up, so it is it is rife for stand-up. Mm-hmm. I think you should read this book if you know quite literally nothing about South African apartheid, and I do mean nothing. Yeah, I well, my other one was if you're interested in learning more about apartheid. Oh, go so, ahead, yeah, yeah. So I think a little bit different <laughs> from yours, but yeah. I think yeah, if you lo- know literally nothing about it, I knew almost nothing about it. So I, I think I learned a lot too. I I wrote that description. We we're not supposed to do on these, but I can't help my nature. I just want to explain my thought process on that description. <laughs> I only wrote it that way because I don't. I think. I have to assume that some cultural observers or historians or sociologists would like probably bulk at some of the claims he makes because it is purposefully reductive, simplified. He was on the ground. So like, right. it's not some big encompassing comprehensive analysis of social conditions or history. It's like, Hey, here's some practical stuff I learned because I was there. This is what it was like. And so that's why the quite literally nothing thing like if i think if you have deep knowledge of it i can't i actually don't know what your reaction to this book would be anyway go ahead amanda no it's your turn now i I did my oh snap you fired back too quickly my god i know i'm so good i think you should read this book if you buy the audiobook which i am assuming and desperately hoping that he narrates (laughs) yeah yeah i i also hope the same Um, I said uh, you should read this book if you like quick, shocking anecdotes. Yeah, some of them are a bit long, but I get what you mean, though. I get what you mean. There, Some of the chapters, I, it all reads very quick. I will say it's breezy writing, so therefore breezy reading. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the It is intense in times, but the language is breezy, even if the content yeah. is not, if that makes sense. I'm going to yep. tag in with that one and say you should read this if you prefer substance over style. Yes, and that's something that we talk a lot about is uh, the lack of style. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I said you should read this book if you like stories about amazing moms. Oh, I'm just going to throw mine in there and then respond to yours. I my final one was you should read this if you love your mother. Yes, it that's is. So true. It is a if it has potency, uh, which I would dispute heavily that it might not. But if it has potency, 
it's because his mother's an incredible figure. The relationship is, it's beautiful, but it is, is a bit messy and tangled as well. But, you know, she's a figure of strength um, and independence and everything. She's quite admirable in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and, you know, and compromised in others, honestly. But yeah, no, I think it's a, quite a tale, quite a, quite a, I don't know, shout out to moms. So what, what about you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, just the the parts about his mom, I think, are are the best parts of this book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my final one is you should read this book if you hate cats. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even want to expand on that almost. I want to leave that as a mystery to the reader. I, I would amend it and say you will be able to stomach a part of this if you hate cats or, you know, whatever. But, yes, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say to the book's credit, the cat hate is in and out real quick. But it is it is a bit rough, <laughs> but it's in and out. My final one, then, is you should read this book if you are unbothered by literary cliches. That's a great point. <laughs> If cliches really get under your skin, uh, be prepared. (laughs) You're going to have a tough time. (laughs) All right, let's move on to a bit more in-depth segment. This is the reading similes where each of us picks a comparison where we talk about reading this book and comparing it to doing something else or to something else. Amanda, start us off with your reading simile for Born a Crime. I said reading this is like walking through a museum. Hmm. There are several exhibits, several artifacts that are put together, but also separated from other pieces so that when looking from afar or looking at the name of the overall exhibit, um, it, it kind of can tell a story or theme, even if there are some pieces, some artifacts that just seem to be kind of like thrown in there for whatever reason that is not quite as clear but up close each artifact and each exhibit is a contained unit within itself and without an audio guide some of the significance and beauty of the exhibits might be lost on the viewer as well yeah i does it feel because in some museums depending on their theme topic situation location etc you can get some kind of some shock moving from floor one to two, so to speak, you know, floor one of a given museum might be, there's a woolly mammoth. And then floor two might be, here's an abstract painting or something, you know, do you, did you get kind of museum whiplash in a sense from this book? (laughs) Not, not to a great extent, but definitely some of the, the, the stories that are included seemed a bit disjointed, I think, because Mm -hmm. it's not always clearly chronological necessarily. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but he does take the time to set up each story with the preamble. Yes. Um, yes. So that you know what the purpose or the, the overall moral of that story is. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, I could see that comparison then. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, I didn't find it to be most, I didn't find it to be alarming the way it switches because those preambles, every chapter or section has kind of a setup to it almost, like a bit of mm-hmm. history or reflection, which I thought maybe was the best part, honestly. But my reading simile, um, I thought reading this book, or I feel reading this book is like listening to a record or album that you know you love, or maybe you know you love the artist, but that it is all scratched up. Like, mega scratched might not even play when you put it on the machine it's going to cut in and out you're going to hear that guitar riff you love or hear that line that bass line and be like whoa what brilliant line and then it's like skirt skirt and it you know it cuts out and then it jumps a song i Mm -hmm. there's just something indisputable that this book should exist i'm glad that it exists 
truly, but it is, I found deeply flawed. And I think the format and just the, I don't know, maybe my analogy sucks though, because at least with a song you love, you know that it's a beautiful thing that was made. I don't think this is a beautifully made thing. I, I just think it should exist, I guess, is the thing I want to get across. Like, I think that this, it should be played, you know, it should be put into the record machine. I just thought mm-hmm. some of it was just so deeply flawed in the way it was put together. Yeah. I, that makes sense to me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the, my own analogy is falling apart here. I'm scratching on my own record, but <laughs> it did feel like, <laughs> nice. I, you know, I, given the, given the way his life has been and, and everything and the, just his, his time in history and his place in history it. I don't know. That's the part where I hear the brilliant guitar thing. And I'm like, wow, what an incredible, like he lived through that, that happened, you know, and he was there then and he saw this and that. And it, th- those are the flashes to me. Um, the yeah. way it stylistically coheres um, would be the, the scratching element to me. For sure. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the similes? No, all good. Okay, excellent. We're cruising. Let's move now to the final couple segments of the recommendation. These are a bit more descriptive. Um, We have prepared a scripted pitch, though I did not. I'll get to that in a second. And then we're also going to do a quote (laughs) for clarification here. So we're going to we'll first do the the pitch, which is that we have prepared something written in advance so we can try and, again, persuade you to read this with us. I'll definitely have you go first, Amanda. I will say up front, I'll own it, that I had filled out all this doc and then forgot that I left the scripted pitch for later. Later never came. Later is here now. Yeah. <laughs> this mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is the moment. I'm going to do it differently today instead. I've got my time is up, so I'm going to just time out one minute exactly, and I'm going to stop speaking after a minute and just see oh, what the nice. hell happens. That's a different format, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Let's have yours first, though, because you actually did what you were supposed to do, like a respectable, <laughs> responsible person. So take it away when you're ready. All right. Trevor Noah is perhaps best known as the host of The Daily Show. His approach to the show is the same as his approach to this episodic memoir. One part stand-up comedy that relies on modern illusions and some irony. One part explanatory moralizing. Thus, some of these stories, almost essays, come off as near fables. They're just no fantastical animals. His writing is straightforward, very few stylistic flourishes, and very little description. This makes for a very quick read, though still an interesting one as far as his interactions with his mother and his experiences dealing with apartheid and its effects. If you're looking for a book that is beautifully written, this isn't it. If you're looking for something fast, easy, and informative, and this is for you. Yeah, and I, you know, there are many reasons to pick up a book, is my response to that. And the ones yeah. that you gave at the end uh, should, in my mind, be just as valid as any other. Um, my response to that is that that's just not why I often choose to pick up a book, is what I guess right. all I could say. It's why I would go to YouTube or Wikipedia or any other form of media or what, whatever. You know, I'm just speaking off the cuff, but... Yeah, no, I think that's a perfectly good way to look at it, too. Do you think you'll remember a lot from this book, you know, five, ten years down the road? I think that there will be um, some of the information about apartheid, yes. Um, I think that I will remember that. Um, As far as uh, some of the stories, I think that there's a couple of moments in his life that I think that I'll remember, but Mm -hmm. what I'll probably take away from this the most is just like the feeling if, when I'm thinking back on this is just like 
how much he loves his mom and how much his mom shaped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. As you nailed it earlier, it is. Well, I guess both of us said it in the rapid fire, but it is really a story of a mother's love in, in many ways. So, yeah, well yeah. said. Okay. Any other thoughts in the script? No, I'm ready for your Yikes. one minute. Well, that makes one of us then. <laughs> so as I mentioned, I, for, I failed this week completely to prepare a scripted pitch. So I've got the time dot is up and I'll begin. I'm probably just going to delete the silence here, but I'll begin on an even number and I'll begin talking and prepare my script then. All right, I'm going to start now on the 22nd mark. I did not like this book, dear listener. That doesn't mean I don't think you should read it or that you might not love it. I actively did not like this book, though. And I will say it's for this simple reason. I'm going to use an analogy. I grade a lot of college essays at my work. And when you have a college essay brought to you, any piece of personal writing, one thing I tell students or young writers is you can't control your life's content, but you can control the theming of it and the style of how you present it. This book is all content and literally zero style in my mind that I responded to. There's words on the page, but honestly, it is just, it's dead air on that page, I found. Now, the content of his life, the life he lived is truly remarkable. The things about apartheid he's experienced, the, his position in history, the timing of it all, it is so worth seeing this life. But I found the writing just utterly devoid of any creative decision of interest. I honestly felt it was written for a young audience, but was proven wrong. This is a book for adults. That was my minute. That was pretty quick, actually. Do you think that was 200 words? Yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't <laughs> Maybe. even Maybe. That was pretty good. That was close. Okay. And I didn't want to seem too harsh. If I would have had time to prepare my pitch a bit more, I would have tried to... I, you know, I did want to present the things about it that worked. His relationship with his mother is truly remarkable, and she, she's an intense and very interesting part of the story, too. So she does get a lot of page time. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, I, I agree with... Um, it is very simplistic, This uh, the way that he writes. It, I was stunned by it. It is approachable. It. Anybody can read this. Anybody yep. I'll throw this out this. here, too, because we're already a bit under time, so we're, we're good. We're doing fine in the time. We can riff a little bit, but I, I said this in part one of our book clubs. If you're going to listen to it, you'll hear it there again. Sorry, but I'll say it here. I, the generous reading of this is he's so he's a polyglot truly he speaks he's conversant in so many of these angry, uh, languages that exist in South Africa he, he really values language and talks about that influence it, it really reads like this book reads almost like it's almost as if he wants people who barely know English or like just starting out or just conversant in it or have like a you know they have that like it's like my, my grasp of Spanish, which I studied forever, and I'm like still stuck with Spanish. It's like you t- learning second languages can be torture if you're like my brain. And so anyway, like I, I could read maybe fifth or sixth grade Spanish, maybe you know, and grapple with that and like try and understand. And it almost feels like my generous reading of this book is he just wants it to be so applicable to so many people who maybe again maybe their knowledge of English is just kind of passing. You know, maybe it's just sort mm-hmm. of like third language or something and so this it does have feelings or spots where it just feels like there's a sentence i didn't pull actually i think i did pull that sentence so i'll read it in the quote but it's there are just moments that feel so simplistic as to it had to have been a purposeful maybe audience-based decision or something right and i wonder too like since he's a stand-up comedian yeah, yeah. um and i haven't seen any of his stand-up comedy but even with like the Today Show, the points that he makes that he does rely a lot on like logic. He makes a point in the stories to like point out the the logical fallacies of his mother's arguments and stuff like that. So so logic is a very important yeah, yeah. Um, component to the way that he speaks. Um, but also, I think the the 
wanting to just get that message across in the simplest, most straightforward way, um, which I I would assume he probably also speaks that way um, based on like what Mm -hmm. I've seen with the Today Show, but also probably with his stand-up comedy. Yeah, no, I I think that sounds completely right. And you're right. There's one of the parts that there were two moments in the book that made me at least, if not laugh and smile, maybe chuckle or something. But and one was when he argues with his mom via writing that about her yeah. illogical <laughs> views on religion or something. So anyway, there there is that in there too. Okay, let's move to our quotes now for clarification. This will be the final part of the book recommendation where we try and persuade you. We're going to read some quotes from the book itself just to give an actual excerpt of the style that you can expect and some of the writing ticks and stylistic choices that were made. I'll start since I've been, you know, I was harsh before and I want to be clear. So I'm going to pull my quote from 49. Language brings with it an identity and a culture, or at least the perception of it. A shared language says we're the same. A language barrier says we're different. The architects of apartheid understood this. Part of the effort to divide black people was to make us sure we were separated not just physically, but by language as well. In the Bantu schools, children were only taught in their home language. Zulu kids learned in Zulu. Tiswani kids learned in Tiswani. Because of this, we'd fall into the trap the government had set for us and fight among ourselves, believing that we were different. The great thing about language is that you can just as easily use it to do the opposite, convince people that they are the same. And then he talks about how racism is... Racism can trick you then. If you're racist and you meet someone who doesn't look like you, the fact that you can't speak reinforces your perception. So anyway, I'll pause the quote there. So we could easily and generously say, this is what wisdom sounds and feels like. It shouldn't be that complex. It should be stripped of style because if something is true and and beautiful, it should be it should be presented in a simple and true and beautiful way. I just find this writing just... I almost I know I said this in part one I'll say it here again almost insulting to an adult reader I I don't know how else to phrase it like if you put a sentence that says shared language means we're the same different language means we're different like if you if you say a sequence of sentences like that to me an adult I don't know how else to respond except like really that's you have to say this to me like this is the this is the way you could have conveyed that with thought or intricacy or rhetoric or emotion or any of the millions of choices you can make as a writer like I but then again there's a a bit of a universal truth to it that I think some readers could respond to if you're listening to that and you were comforted by those lessons or something or comforted by those truths I think this book could offer a a lot I guess is what I would say to me as a person who goes to books not for the simple things, but literally because they can do things that make my brain work in more complex ways. Like, I don't need cliched, simple truths from my books. That's literally not why I go to them. That is antithetical to what I like about books, basically. And so I find reading something in this style or presented like that, I I don't know. Again, I, I say insulting I was not personally offended or hurt by any of this, but I felt like my reading time was insulted or that I was just my intellect or something was insulted in reading something presented to me like that as an adult reader. Um, there's certainly an audience who needs to hear those words. I, I just do. It was not. I'm just not the audience, I guess. So that is the quote I, I just wanted to share as an example of that. I don't know if you think that's a fair or unfair. Feel free to tag in. Well, when I, when it comes to like memoirs, um, I think that we have a higher uh, expectation for current day memoirs. Um, but when I, the reason that I 
tend not to read autobiographies of any sort is I find it very dry because it is often just a listing of activities that have occurred without any major thematic development, no Mm -hmm. real like description and stuff like that, right? Versus a biography, right? So coming into reading Born a Crime, I was not as bothered by the uh, lack of style or his stylistic choices um, because I was coming in expecting like your your typical um, your your typical autobiography. Um, I found it interesting though that it in a lot of ways is more of like um, a instead of a memoir, it does read at times more like an essay as far as his um, discussions of um, the moral of his anecdote and stuff like that. So, I it his format his structural choice is like kind of um like up in the air almost in a lot of ways so that is what intrigued me more so than than any other element of his style so it didn't bother mm-hmm. me as much about that my other than the lack of of style I, I found this to be a really fast and entertaining generally speaking and sometimes disturbing read Mm -hmm. yeah this well and the stories have ranged from entertainment slapstick almost comedy to yeah really disturbing like you know he's lived quite an intense kind of trauma filled but you know humorous life as well and so yeah should i should what i'm hearing now from you is i should have pulled the quote with more cliches would not have to go far is what i would say to that wouldn't would not have to turn many pages to find that but i'll leave it be (laughs) and for your quote amanda go ahead throw it out there Um, I chose a quote from page 107. Being with my dad was like watching a web series. I'd get a few minutes of information a few minutes at a time. Then I'd have to wait a week for the next installment. Um, So I chose this quote because it's an example of the the way that he does infuse his own humor and style into it, where we see some of that stand-up comedy come in where he uses um, a modern-day illusion right he's talking about a web series so he's um very up to date i suppose he's very modern in in the comparisons that he makes yeah um, yeah in his writing he does yeah he i wouldn't say he relies on pop culture for the humor but he's not it's a it's a common trick i suppose i would say or a common rhetorical choice i would say for sure there's a game of thrones reference in there i talk about that in one of the episodes there's yeah he's Mm -hmm. yeah he's using the language of american pop culture mostly american too unless i probably missed other references if there were any now that i think on it but yeah it's a lot of american films american food he there's a mcdonald's part in there and so kfc he makes how many jokes does he make about kfc See, and this is where I don't want to, I mean, gosh, I could get canceled over misquoting this. He just talks about how KFC strategically targeted South Africa and then people there love it now. They'll always love KFC, I guess is how he phrased it, right? I mean, that came up at least three or four times, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Especially in discussions of Alex, the uh, the township. Yeah, yeah, his joke was kind of like, there's always a KFC. They understood us better than anybody, you know, us and Alex. And so anyway, I should have pulled that quote maybe, but... Okay. Anything about the quotes or anything else that we missed that you wanted to discuss in the book rack? Uh, nope, I think I'm good. It's a complex one for sure. This is the first time I've been this negative in a book recommendation, which I feel it's it's you know I feel a little conflicted about that, and I think that's fine. I any other reaction would have been a lie, frankly. And if you mm-hmm. get the book and you read and listen to part one with us, you'll 
you know, we get into a lot more detail there, I think. So those thoughts get expanded upon. I think we've given a pretty fair, I don't know, portrayal of what it is, though, and what it can what it yeah. can offer, what it do- maybe doesn't offer, what it does. And um, maybe final question, Amanda, let's put you on the spot. Was this Is this book funny? I think that there are parts of it that are funny. Yeah. W- would you give it to someone under those auspices, though? If, if someone no. said to you, like, you know, you hit that point in the year, I just need a good laugh, I want to, you know, people go to David Sedaris, and Tina Fey's book is now, like, one of the legendary examples of a celebrity comedy book. There's other, Amy Poehler wrote a book, like, do you, would you give this to someone under that condition? No. I don't think I would either. No, I didn't <laughs> respond to the humor the way it was done in this, but there are other reasons, too, and we covered those, and hopefully, listeners, you follow us along and hear more about the book or pick up a copy. Okay, so that is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Those are our final thoughts on the recommendation. If we were ineffective today at persuading you, let's be honest, and that's my goddamn fault, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Not my most persuasive moment, but again, I feel like we've always been honest here and not going to stop that now. So at any rate, we have other books coming up in order. I'll describe them here briefly. The next three books we've chosen, again, in order, are You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. That is, I believe, a short story collection, right? It is. We have our favorite, uh, not favorite, our first graphic novel after that, which is called My Favorite Thing is Monsters by M.L. Ferris, which looks pretty interesting. It's, it was done in um, colored pencil as is kind of like really, I don't know. I was going to say melty style. Talk about a non-description description, but it's, I don't know. It has kind of a spooky look to it. It's very, yeah, I don't know. It looks very psychedelic. There's a lot of cross-hatching. Yeah, it's just very psychedelic, something about the way the blending is done. Anyway, and then after that, we have yeah. The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger by Stephen King. I First author we've ever repeated on the show. Yeah. It feels fitting enough. I responded really positively to that first King. So I'm, I'm going to make you a, a true Stephen King fan. Gosh, who knew that would ever happen? I'd held out for so long, but, <laughs> you know, he did win me over at first, so we'll see if that continues. Okay, um, and as a quick logistical note, the first part, if you do choose to follow us for Born a Crime, the part one of that book club episode, which will be posted on Friday, we always post those on Fridays, will be for chapters one through 12, which is approximately half of the book. We always divide the book in half, so we'll be doing part one on Friday. Look for us then. Amanda, any final, final thoughts or words? I'm all good. Excellent. Okay. Well, we thank you as always for listening, rating, reviewing, recommending to friends and family, etc. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages. 